of the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. They've conquered species, civilizations, and peoples all over the universe. They've even had some of their members separated from them, broken their link, having their links broken by them, to them. And they've been one of the creepiest enemies I have ever seen in anything. And it's ex- they're also just very, very interesting. And one of them was played, was played brilliantly by Alice Creek. And I've tried to see behind-the-scenes stuff and tried to look into how it was done. Because the whole stuff is, is just amazing to me, to figure out how all they did that. But I've wondered to go back to Memory Alpha. And to go back to through all this in the history that Gene Roddenberry laid out. What is their history? Where do they come from? And can you pinpoint and can they be pinpointed? It's all just very, very interesting. And the original story I'm talking, of course, about the Borg. The original story of the Borg is quite vague. And their origin is very, very vague. Not much is known about them. And a lot of this, again, is coming from my notes and from several other friends of mine who are trekkers and big into this kind of stuff. And this is very, very interesting to me. So I'm kind of interested into it as well. But I've... No one can really, as far as I know, know their origin and pinpoint anything. What is known is hearsay. Brief contact with survivors... And even the Borg itself. The Borg originated in the Delta Quadrant. According to the Borg Queen, the species known as the Borg started out as normal, plain life forms. They had been developing for thousands of centuries before the 24th century. And over the many years, they evolved into a mixture of organic and artificial life with cybernetic enhancements. By 1484, the Borg had assimilated only a handful of star systems of the Quadrant, and they had many encounters with the, with the, with the Vodwar. But by 2373, the Borg had assimilated thousands of systems. Their territory was intersected by a narrow corridor of space filled with gravimetric distortions eventually nicknamed the Northwest Passage by the crew of the Federation starship USS Voyager during the Borg's conflict with Species 8472. The farthest border of the Borg realm within the Delta Quadrant seemed to be the Necrid Expanse. A lot of this is, like I said, coming from my notes and from Memory Alpha. So... That's they get the credit for that. Well, I guess I sort of can get the credit for actually writing this stuff down. The collective, they're no, they're known as the collective. The collective had their own territory and ventured out beyond it on explore on exploratory missions. 
At one time, Voyager was thrown 95,000 light years beyond Borg territory and 10 years closer to Earth. Over the next four years, the starship still encountered Borg vessels. Since the Borg has such extensive transwarp networks throughout the Milky Way galaxy, they could, they could effectively project their presence anywhere in a comparatively short amount of time. While the Borg did have a large expanse of their own territory, it was finite, and any forays elsewhere were simply invasions of other territories. Within the Delta Quadrant, the Borg had a vast structure called the Unicom the Unicomplex. This structure was made up of thousands of substructures and housed many of their vessels. It was believed the Unicomplex was the Borg headquarters. While the Borg started using transwarp hubs, they could appear anywhere in the galaxy, giving them the ability to assimilate species with little or no warning at all, and within very short periods of time. Their vessels were equipped with specially designed conduits to withstand the temporal stresses when traveling through transwarp conduits. Borg starships had the ability to, path to travel through time, they once tried to assimilate a species by traveling back in time. Although, Borg, although the Borg were normally not active in the Alpha Quadrant, which is Earth, in, 20, in 2063, a Borg sphere traveled back in time from 2373 to the Earth of that year. The Earth, the crafts, occupants had the sole purpose of preventing first contact between humans and Vulcans, thereby helping the Borg to assimilate the human species. The Sphere attempted to achieve their outcome by firing on Zephyrm Cochran's launch base, launch base in Montana, where he was developing the Phoenix, the spaceship that historically performed the first, the first warp-powered flight subsequently bringing Earth to the attention of a passing Vulcan vessel. Vulcan, for anyone who doesn't know, or anyone who's kind of Vulcan, huh? If you've seen any of the J.J. Um, Abrams remakes or any of the original Star Treks, uh, Leonard Nimoy is Spock, and Spock is a Vulcan. Uh, in J.J. In Abrams remakes... One of, the, one of the coolest, best actors I've ever seen, Zach Quinto, Zachary Quinto, but I call him Zach Quinto. Zach Quinto was Spock, and he's Vulcan. A Federation starship, also from 2373, the USS, the Enterprise E, thwarted the Borg attempt by destroying the Borg sphere as it was firing against Cochrane. A section of its broken hull landed in Earth's North Pole, but some, but at some, but at some point earlier, some Borg drones, including the Queen, transported aboard the Enterprise and began to assimilate the ship and many crew members. They used the Enterprise as their base of operations in an attempt to continue their objectives to alter history, and also attempted to build an, an, inter, an interplexing beacon on the Enterprise deflector dish to contact the collective of the 21st century.
Finally, they tried to prevent first contact by firing against the Phoenix during its first flight, but they were prevented. And they tried, but they were. I lost my place. I lost my place and defeated by Captain Picard and Data. The Queen and all of the remaining drones perished aboard the Enterprise. Their organic components were dissolved by very corrosive plasma coolant in the Queen's artificial spinal cord, which was broken to ensure that she was dead. The same year, Saffron Cochran, using his commencement address at Princeton, revealed his unusual experience. He mentioned cybernetic creatures from the future, whose ultimate goal was to enslave the human race, who tried to... who tried to stop his first warp flight if it weren't for a group of humans also from the future. No one seriously believed Cochrane, and well, well, no one seriously believed Cochrane, well known for his imaginative stories while intoxicated. And he recanted his, his claim a few years earlier, although, a few years earlier, a few years later. A little tongue tied there. Although, a record of his speech still remained. Jumping ahead to the 24th century, one of the most famous or the greatest battle that ever took place outside of our planet, the one that's extremely interesting to me, took place actually in 2367. In the Wolf System, roughly eight light years from Earth, between between the UFP, the United Federation of Planets, and the Collective. But the pre- the precursor to it was in late 2366 on Stardate 43989.1. The USS the Enterprise D arrived on Jurat Four, twelve hours after contact with a New Providence colony was lost. The colony was found to have been completely destroyed, literally scooped, literally scooped from the planet's surface. Admiral J.P. Hansen and Lieutenant Colonel and Lieutenant Commander, Lieutenant Commander Shelby of Starfleet Tactical arrived to investigate the disappearance. An away team determined that the colony had been wiped away by weapons similar to similar to those found on a Borg collective encountered by the Enterprise in System J-25. While investigating a planet within that system, the Enterprise had found something, had found corresponding devastation as as that on Jurat 4. Likewise, devastation of this kind had been found even earlier in 2364 on several on several Federation and Romulan outposts along the Romulan neutral zone, and in 2365 on the sixth planet of System J-25. Starfleet immediately began preparation for a possible Borg invasion. Admiral Hansen returned to Starbase 324 to discuss strategy with Starfleet Command. Starfleet imposed a fleet-wide standing yellow alert, and warned all Federation on, on Allied outposts. That evening, at 1900 hours, 
the USS Lalo departed Zeta Alpha 2 on a freight run to Sentinel Minor 4. At 22.12 hours, Starbase 157 received a signal from the Lalo reporting contact with a, with a cubicle object. Well, I don't think anyone needed to do an episode on this to figure out what that cubicle object was. The signal was immediately cut off mid-transmission, and no response was received to further hail attempts. Upon receiving this information from Admiral Hansen, the Enterprise set a course for the Lalo's last known transmission location. With Starfleet reinforcements at least six days away, the Enterprise was on its own. En route to the coordinates, contact was made with the unknown vessel, a Borg cube. News was relayed to Admiral Hansen, who began to assemble a fleet to combat the, the invasion. The Borg demanded that Enterprise Captain Jean-Luc Picard beam himself aboard their vessel for an unspecified purpose. After a brief exchange of fire, the Enterprise retreated into the Paulson Nebula, with the Borg vessel close behind. Hiding in a dust cloud, the Enterprise and her crew prepared for the inevitable resumption of conflict. Attempting to force the starship out, the Borg launched magnetic the Borg launched magnetometric guided changes charges into the nebula, causing minor damage to the Enterprise. Picard ordered the ship out of hiding, and in the ensuing attack, he was captured by the Borg, who then left at high warp en route to Sector, sector 001, Earth and the core of the Federation. The cube maintained its course, with the Enterprise in hot pursuit. First Officer, First Officer William Riker, as acting captain, planned to force the cube out of warp in order to attack it, using the Enterprise's deflector dish. An away team, led by, led by Lieutenant Commander Shelby, was sent over to the vessel, and succeeded in taking the Borg cube out of warp. In the process, it was discovered that Captain Picard had been assimilated by the Collective. He had, be, he had been transformed into a Borg drone with the designation Locutus of Borg. Having completely disa disabled the Q, the Enterprise launched its deflector weapon. The cube easily shrugged off the Enterprise's assault with the unwilling aid of Picard's knowledge and resumed its course to the SOL system. SOL. Uh, the SOL system. <laughs> I, I, I'm wondering if you're thinking what I'm thinking. The SOL system. That, out of luck. <laughs> but it makes sense that you'd go there and given this history, you'd think that. I think it too. The Enterprise was forced to stay behind, having suffered extensive damage to its deflector array and warp core. In the meantime, Admiral Hansen and Starfleet Command had hastily assembled a fleet of 40 ships, with more on the way. The Klingon Empire was in the process of dispatching warships of its own to assist in the defense, and the possibility of requesting support from the Romulan Star Empire was even considered. In early 2367, roughly around... 
and I'm trying to read my notes here. It, it's kind of kind of a little question mark here. Roughly around star date forty four forty four zero zero two point three, the cube entered the Wolf system. The Wolf three five nine is an actual star. That that is not made up. Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry and Rick Berman they didn't make that up. It's the Wolf three five nine actually exists. Lacutus hailed the, the assembled fleet, ordering the, ordering the ships therein to disarm and, dis, and escort the cube to the Sol system. Immediately thereafter, the fleet engaged the Borg. This, the, the greeting that they got from the Borg is what you heard at the beginning of this episode. The Excelsior-class USS Melbourne was among the first ships destroyed with its saucer section partially vaporized while approaching. The Miranda-class USS Saratoga was quickly neutralized thereafter, when the Ambassador-class USS Yamaguchi and the Nebula-class Bellerophoron rushed to rescue the disabled ships. They, too, were destroyed, along with numerous other starships entering the combat zone. Their valiant efforts notwithstanding, they did not prevent the eventual destruction of the USS Saratoga and the USS Bonestall. Bonestell. Lucutus, armed with the assimilated tactical knowledge of Picard, directed the battle from the Borg side. After bare, after bare minutes of combat, the fleet was faced with utter defeat. Admiral Hansen attempted to rally the remaining ships to launch a last-ditch assault, but his ship was also destroyed shortly thereafter. His final words were to Captain Riker of the Enterprise, whom he contacted briefly during the course of the battle. His words, The fight does not go well, Enterprise. We are attempting to withdraw and regroup. Rendezvous with fleet, number 151. The communications were cut off in the midst of this transmission. And with no further transmissions, was no further transmissions were received. Communications were cut off. Oh, I read was brushed. Lost my place in notes and on memory alpha here. Ultimately, thirty-nine starships were destroyed, with a total loss of nearly eleven thousand lives. Many Starfleet personnel were assimilated. By the, by the time the Enterprise arrived, there were no life signs or power readings from the remaining hulks. At least one civilian transported, tra- unless one, at least one civilian transport craft was caught in the battle. The ship was heavily damaged and had to evacuate its crew and passengers via their escape pods. The mother of one Starfleet officer was on board. The rest of the craft's passengers were most likely assimilated, though it is unknown if the Locutus' ship did this, or if, any, or if they were assimilated at a later date. Following the battle, the cube resumed course towards Earth, completely undamaged. The Enterprise, having finally completed repairs, raced to catch up to the cube. In preparation for a Borg invasion of Earth, a state of emergency was declared on the planet. Brushing aside the last 
lines of defense by easily destroying a flotilla of Mars defense perimeter systems. Mars defense perimeter sentry pods, sorry. The Borg cube took up position in Earth orbit. However, using the recap, however, however, using the recapture Locutus and his link to the collective mind of the Borg, the Enterprise crew managed to plant submersive commands to deactivate and destroy the Borg ship. Although the outcome of the invasion could have been much worse, much, much worse, and they, you, one could easily argue it was pretty darn bad as it was. <laughs> The loss of such a large number of starship of starships left the Federation unprepared for any new sustained conflict. Commander Shelby took command of a special of a special task force to rebuild Starfleet, but returning the fleet to previous de- deployment levels was expected to take up to a year. Initiated in 2367, the development of the heavily armed Defiant class was a direct result of the battle. However, as the Borg, as the Borg scare, as the Borg scare abated somewhat, the development process was slowed down until it was decided to to commission the prototype vessel, the USS Defiant, to counter the Dominion threat. In 2371, commander, and here's a, and here's it, here's a, I believe Avery Brooks, and please correct me if I'm wrong with that actor's name. Commander Ben Sisko, the former first officer of the, of the lost USS Saratoga and survivor of the battle, was part of the team which developed the Defiant. The ship was called upon to fulfill its or original design intent during a subsequent Borg incursion in 2373 when it battled the Borg cube in the Battle of then the Battle of Sector 001 in 2367 Admiral Norseti used the Battle of Wolf 359 as a pretext to question Captain Picard's integrity during a board inquiry on Rom- on Romulan subversion she implied that Picard's relations with the Borg had helped him to, to the battle, and hence he was untrustworthy. In 2369, Picard again was painfully confronted with a subsequence with the consequence of Lacutus's actions, as he met as he met Commander Sisko for a briefing, while the latter took command of Deep Space Nine. Sisko was, on that occasion, only barely able to contain his disdain for Picard, whom he blamed for the death of his wife, she having been lost in the battle. 2370, for a few nights around the, around the time of the fourth, fourth anniversary of the massacre at Wolf 359, the memories of the battle and death of his wife caused Sisko to suffer a bout of insomnia. The painful recollection, recollections were subconsciously triggered by the anniversary of the battle. In 2371, Vice Admiral Todman commented to Sisko that the battle of the, of, of the Amerian Nebula between the Dominion and the joint Telshiar Obsidian Order fleet sounded like Wolf 359 all over again. 
Sisko admitted that he had the same thought. Like the Starfleet ships that stood against the Borg at Wolf 359, very few Kardashian or Romulan ships survived this encounter with the Dominion. In 2372, Sisko's father, Joseph, remarked to his son that the threat of a Dominion invasion of Earth had frightened the population of the planet to a degree he had not seen since the Borg scare. In 2373, Commander Chicote encountered the, co- encountered the cooperative, a group of Borg drones whose members included at least one member whose members had included at least one member who had been assimilated at the Battle of Wolf 359 and returned to the Delta Quadrant but who had later been liberated thanks to a malfunction. In 2373, in the run-up to what was to become the Battle of Sector 001 involving another Borg cube, Vice Admiral Hayes ordered Captain Picard, now commanding the Enterprise E, to stay out of the upcoming battle. Despite Picard's protestation, protesting, it was felt that he would add an unstable element to a critical situation. Due to his experience as Locutus in the Wolf 359 crisis, eventually Picard opted to ignore his orders and enter the, into the fray, proving that instead of being a liability, his experience were rather, were rather an asset to that battle. A lot of what a lot of what has happened a lot of what happened in a lot of what happened in the battle changed everyone that was there and you can argue very very easily and probably very very successfully that the defiant class was evolved and created for certain reasons but all the starships up until that point the constitution the voyager the defiant class they were all battleships they were all cruisers and battleships and explore, exploratory ships, that kind of that kind of like, that kind of ilk, so to speak. But the sovereign class, that was a warship, and that was designed to be, yeah, you know, was it was a warship? It was designed to be a warship. And during the years, and some of this you might have already read, I might have already read, and from my notes and from memory, Alpha. During the years 2354 through 2356, the Borg were studied by human exobiologists Magnus Hansen and his wife Erin. Together with their daughter Anika, they ventured... Oh, Anika. Everyone knows who that is. Together with their daughter Anika, they ventured out into the USS... Out in the USS Raven to seek the Borg. At this point, Starfleet did not believe the Borg were real, and instead dismissed them as rumors and sensory ghosts. ghosts. On Stardate... On Stardate... 20... I can't see the number here. I'm I'm kind of reading from my notes here. I can't see the... On Stardate... There it is. 326... 326.23.5. I think that's... The, the 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 notes is a little foggy there. Yet there it is. Thought it. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. 
everyone knows, or everyone who knows a little bit of Star Trek, so about Star Trek, should know the name Anika or Annika. Everyone should, everyone should know who Annika Hansen is, or who she became. Let's just say she became a woman represented by a number. The number after six. Um, on three two start at three two six three two six two three point five, a Borg cube exiting a transwarp conduit encountered the Raven, which what which at this point had changed its course with without informing Starfleet. The Raven was beyond the Romulan neutral zone and disobeyed a direct order to return. At 2,000 kilometers, the cube scanned the Raven and found it no threat, unwittingly proving Magnus' theory that the Borg would not attack as long as, they were, as long as they were no threat or target for assimilation. The Borg vessel turned away and was followed by the Raven at a distance of 5 million kilometers, matching the cube's heading and speed. At three months, on Stardate 326-29.4, the Borg cube opened a transwarp conduit and traveled to the Delta Quadrant, the Raven following in its wake. Unknown to the Borg, the Hantons developed new technologies to keep hidden from Borg sensors, such as multi-adaptive shielding to hide the Raven and personal biodampers so someone could visit a Borg vessel without being detected. Without the Borg's knowledge, the Raven was now very close to the cube while Magnus Hansen studied them. He witnessed how two drones from another subunit deactivated. Some other subunits deactivated a drone who was damaged beyond repair, while plasma conduit exploded, removing its usable components. Several, sometime later, the Borg cube linked with another vessel and received over 50,000 new drones. The Hansons stealthily beamed over, beamed over newly arrived drones and killed them. A tactical, a tactical drone, a former, a former Katarian male, was beamed over to the Raven while he was while he was regenerating in his alcove. Because its pre- previous designation was three of five, was three of five tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix One. This drone was tagged with a subdermal probe, so he could be traced by the Hansons. Magnus believed this drone worked for the Borg Queen and searched, searched its cranial transceiver for Log's evidence. Once Magnus Hansen even stayed overnight in the with the cube, even stayed overnight within the cube's maturation chamber when the Raven's transporters failed. In 2356, the Borg detected the Raven and perceived her as a threat when it was visible on their sensors for 13.2 seconds. This occurred because the Raven was hit by a subspace particle storm which knocked out their multi-adaptive shielding. The Borg cube required three, required three hours to track down the Raven because Magnus masked their warp trail. The cube exited a transwarp conduit only 3.2 light years from the Raven and intercepted it in less than an hour. The Borg assimilated the Hansons. And from then on, 
Anneke Hansen was known as seven. Seven of nine. And she was a drone until she was rescued in 2374 by the Voyager. In 2375, father and daughter met once again. Although Magnus was still a drone serving in Unimatrix 1, it is unknown what happened to the drone family known what happened to the drone. It is unknown what happened to the drone formerly known as Aaron Hansen. The USS Raven was partially assimilated and crashed on a remote moon in the Bo- in Bomar space. A lot of that is just extremely extremely interesting. And it's just I often wondered what happened to Annika? How she became seven? And the Bork history and the Battle of Wolf 359. And all that is just extremely, extremely interesting. So thank you all for sticking around and hanging around with me and listening to what we all have. Stick around for a little bit more in the end here. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? true true friends of this podcast check out fantastic cruising over on apple podcast and all your favorite podcasting devices and services give them a five-star review head on over to youtube look up fantastic studios give them a five-star review and give them comments they'll love that to death they are the greatest podcast out there give them a shout out go to Vegas, visit the best places all around the Strip and all around downtown, all around the surrounding areas. Check out the best vlogs for Vegas anywhere on YouTube at Brar Frederick over on YouTube. B-R-O-R Frederick, F-R-E-D-R-I-K over on YouTube. Go over to Brar Frederick. Subscribe to his channel. Click that bell icon. Click that Hit those those like those like up thumbs. Give give Brar a follow. Give Brar a look. You'll really love what you're seeing. He's an awesome streamer, the best Vegas streamer, and the best thing to watch while you're in Vegas before you go to Vegas, just to experience Vegas as a whole. Please join me in supporting and giving to the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project. When you donate to the Pride Foundation, you join thousands of supporters building a better, safer, more equitable world for LGBTQIA people and their families. Every gift, whether $1 or $1,000, makes an impact for real people and ripples outward into our communities. There are many different ways to join and help the fight. Also go on to their websites for the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project and donate and help in any way possible. The Trevor Project offers support and help for LGBTQIA youth all over the country and all over the world. Please show them some love and give them some support.